His language is different, his vocabulary is different. You can see the book was printed in square letters, wide margins, user-friendly. Citations in parentheses tell you where he's coming from. And what he will do is, versus I think the best, uh, the best person to juxtapose him to is Rebbe Nachman. Right? Why? In terms of structure. Because Rebbe Nachman, is, you blink and you're lost. And the most common word in Rebbe Nachman in Nikotei Moran is the word bechinat, like, similar to. Because for him, he is basically sharing with us, imagine he's sharing with us a Torah dream. And in our dream, you can be, on one side of the street can be Tennessee, and one side of the street can be San Francisco. And in our dream, that situation actually is coherent and makes sense. But when we open our eyes, all of a sudden, like, that can't be. So if we read Rabbi Nachman at times, like reading a Torah dream, then it can help us with the movement. But on the other hand, sometimes our dreams are very personal. That also makes the teaching and the learning, therefore, challenging. With the Slumming Rebbe, you will never get lost. And on that way, sometimes I say I'm 50% chassid and 50% chassidically challenged, and each 50% or 100%. And I would say that about the Slumming Rebbe, because what it will do is, if you look at the, at the opening words, Katav HaRambam Berosh Hilchot Perik Aleph. The Rambam wrote at the head of the laws of Tefillah, chapter 1. Okay, so if you're writing an essay on, on Tefillah, right, he's starting more or less really from the beginning in terms of a corpus, a halachic corpus to start from. And he will quote, he has what's also helpful about the Nativa Shalom, and often people say, I want to start learning Chassidut, where do I go to? I have, uh, I have the kind of Hebrew that I can open a book and start to crack it open. That I've heard, I haven't seen it yet because I tried to, I tried to find it and didn't succeed to get onto the web page. That there are sections of the Nivot Shalom that are translated into English that you can get on the web. People that are contemplating doing some translations. So when someone says to me, "I have basic Hebrew, and I want to crack open a primary Hasidic source," I send them, I send them here to the Nivot Shalom. I tell them square letters, wide margins. He poses his questions. And then he answers them. So he offers you building blocks as to where he's going. Thank you very much. He, uh, he, has, he offers you the building blocks that he's going to set up, show you where the tension between the different blocks are, and, and unfold them one at a time. So the gift is you really cannot get lost. And you will come out with a cohesive and coherent idea. Also, I want to say about the Nativot Shalom that um, it's possible to learn him on multiple levels, which is also why I love learning him. So some Hasidic Rebbe's, you know, they kind of like open your eyes. Some Hasidic Rebbe's, they call you to battle. And some Hasidic Rebbe's, they're like a hot water bottle. <laughs> And at different times, we need something very different, right? At times, we need our mind to be challenged. At times, we need our soul to be challenged. We need questions to be running in front of us. Sometimes, we actually need to open a sefer and just be quiet. Just have our... Just get a little 
something. My, and that's when I got into Votsalum. Because he won't demand of me, he won't like say, you know, you should be thinking, or you should know, or this is what should be happening, or if you're not feeling this agony moment, then forget the ecstasy, right? It's just, you know, someone that just takes you in their arms and hugs you for a moment. And that's the truth of the matter is that if you know that person who's hugging you, there's a simplicity of the hug, but it carries within it the knowledge of the depth of the wisdom. So that more than the hug, you go back to the Nitzvot Shalom and you start unfolding his sources, where he goes, what he's taking, what he's doing with it. So what he does for me is he offers an invitation to learn on multiple levels, and I get to define every time I open the book how it is that I want to learn that day. Do I want a hot water bottle? Do I want someone to caress my soul, to remind me that I'm one of God's children, to remind me that I'm home, to remind me that no matter what, I'm okay, right? I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to do anything. I got up in the morning. I got out of bed. I'm breathing. I'm living in God's world. We're done. And sometimes I want him to push me. That's another way of learning him. But he won't let you get lost you have the ability to define and determine how it is that you're going to engage in the learning with him. And as I said, different than earlier Hasidic masters, there are essays here that he writes. Um, and for all of those reasons, um, I chose not to enter it, to, to offer translations and then to take time for Chavruta learning, because Chavruta learning is, 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 that, is the rushing waters. To have today to be a more contemplative, of experience and more, uh, more um, introduction and, um, and, and looking inside. Okay, questions until now? Okay, we're... And 2001? 2001, yeah, it was... Um, actually, I'm just looking for... Did my you ever meet him? Or? I actually did, and I have to say, um, you know, he's uh, a, a man whose face would shine from one end of the world to the other. I want to say it's a, it's a I mean, it would be great to juxtapose him with Breslov or with, with Lubavitch. And the, the Rebbe's Yurtzeit starts tonight, so he should, his neshama should be a, also have an aliyah. And the nigun that we sang this morning was actually composed by Reb Shneur Zalman, the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe composed ten nigunim. And the one we sang this morning is one of them. Um, and the other one that is that people know and don't know that it's his is So that's also the Alter Rebbe's uh, the Alter Rebbe's Nigunim. So um, Sloner versus Lubavitch or Breslov, right? There are cities in the world that you can't walk without bumping into a Breslover or a Lubavitcher. Right? The truth of the matter is there isn't a city almost where there are not Lubavitchers. That's not the case with Slonim. Slonim is a very private Hasidic community. They do no outreach. This was like a revolution. That the Rebbe started, his book started being published in the beginning. He started with two volumes called the Nitzvot Shalom. Um, and the first volume was on topics. This is taken from there. The second volume was on Shabbat and the Chagim. The only place that you could buy is 
no, they sing, no recordings of their music. No, um, what's the word I'm looking for? No commercial recordings of their music. So I can't even remember how I began to learn, but I had a chavruta with, um, every other week with, um, with Rabbi David Zeller of Blessed Memory and a dear friend also, Ibadala Chaim Arukim, Dr. Um, Rosen, and um, Alan Rosen. And the three of us would learn his section on, on song, on shira. And when we completed our learning, we actually, the Rebbe would do a tish every Friday night. And, la brise. Also, what's unique about Slonim is the following. You know, the Hasidic community, let's be honest for two seconds, um, as someone who feels herself on the inside of that community in many ways, um, is not, I would say, in its origin for sure not, it was not um, friendly to the concept of family. In terms of, not that they didn't think you should have a million children and have a wonderful family life, but when the husbands and the sons went off to the Rebbe for three weeks, or went off to the Rebbe for the, all of the Chagim and left the women and the daughters home alone, that's not exactly what you would say an ultimate Shabbos table for all of Tishrei. Right? So because of so much, so much of what happened around and happened around the Rebbe, right, in some way it is a man's world. And I find myself at times, you know, I find myself smiling, thinking about what would they say about me or what would they think about me and living my life with them and hanging out with them, um, talking in their name. And um, so that was always a challenge, a challenge for the community or a challenge for the families in terms of the family structure. Slonim as a tish every Friday night. Their tish, religiously, regardless of when Shabbos comes in, is five hours after candlelighting. Why? You go to shul, you daven, you go home. You have a Shabbos meal with your family. You spend time with them. And when the little kids are tucked in, then you go back to have a tish with the lid. Very different. Very different. Uh, melodies, very cool. I, I understand only a little bit of music, so I can only quote what I was explained to me. Is they function in half tones, which means it almost sounds like monotonous. I can't even, it's like, uh, uh, like that sounds like music. But you have hundreds of young men singing these nigudim. Sound like there's almost not a melody in that nigun for hours. Um, so when I showed up there, <laughs> oh my God, first of all, so this is the joke element of it. It was really, really bad. So this is about how amazing they are, truth be told. So Alan and David and I, we learned, um, we learned his whole essays on shira, on song, and we went to Stoneham because we wanted to see, now that you learn about it, you want to see the Hasidim singing, and the Rebbe is alive, you go see him. So we got there, and in the women's section, which is like, you know, that kind of like fence kind of thing that you can see through, um, but you can see through. <laughs> so um, I see in the front, there weren't a ton of women, but I see in the front there's a, there was an empty space. So I go stand right in front. Okay, a while later, a woman who seemed to be in her 70s, I would say, walks in, and my graciousness, I move aside a little bit to give her some room. And that's how I spent the night, a couple of hours, watching and listening. Later on, I found out that was the Rebbe's wife. <laughs> 
her place. But she never said a word. And she never made me feel uncomfortable. And, not, and there wasn't a moment that she was sharing her space with me. Right? The whole time I was sharing my space with her. Okay, so that was the sense also about what their hachnasat ochim is like. I have to say that they were like, who are you? And I promise, they didn't come dressed like this. Like, I was much more quiet. Um, but even so, they don't, they're not used to visitors walking in in that way. So who are you? Where you come from? What? You learn the Rebbe's teachings? And then, of course, immediately someone invited me to their house for Shabbat. And then I came back another couple of times. I come back for Hanukkah to watch the Rebbe light candles and to hear the Nigunim for Hanukkah. And I'd always have my tape with me when it wasn't Shabbat. Clear. Well, I had my tape with me so I could record everything. And then ultimately someone invited me to their home so I could get from them cassette tapes of their Nigunim. But nothing commercial, nothing in the stores. It's all by word of mouth how all of these things are transmitted and, and transferred from hand to hand. So a very private Hasidic community, a very self-contained Hasidic community. If you walk in, as you can see, they will hold on to you, they'll reach out to you, they will invite you and greet you in, but they will never walk the streets looking for you. And this revolution with Slonim has been is like so amazing. In these ten years, in these like eight years since the Rebbe left the world, there now have publications of his teachings. And these were these were sichot, these were teachings that he gave over in the Beit Midrash, and were then you know those that came out in his lifetime were things that he had seen written in Hebrew, right? Given over in Yiddish, and that way very classic. Given over in Yiddish, written in Hebrew. But we now have his teachings. These two volumes, now we have another five volumes on the parashiyot of the Torah, on the Torah portions, and we also have um, different booklets, uh, one on marriage, um, um, one on Masechet Avot. So there's an uh, opening up yet more, but inside the community stays as is. And they're also a community, like when I joked yesterday about intermarriage and the Hasidic community, like their pride is that their level of intermarriage into other Hasidic groups is minimal. Right? And if you can say that you are seven generations, like seven generations from Tveria, like that, I go back all the way from the beginning. And that is like, it doesn't get, in terms of pedigree, it doesn't get better. Yeah. Yes, he does. He does. It was actually, I think to the best of my memory, similar to Lubavitch, it was his son-in-law who was the Rosh Yeshiva, um, is his successor. And the community continues. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Noach Shalom Berzovsky. 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 I did not write it down. I'm sorry. Berzovsky. Noach Shalom Berzovsky. And hence Nitivot Shalom. The Pathways of Shalom. Yes. The previous one I'm writing? Right? Because I, I can go back and say in my mind, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can go back to who was the, you know, the Slonim Rebbe was the Kobrina Rebbe and the Lachovitch Rebbe, but then we're going back to the, to, the, um, to the first half of the 19th century. But, right? So that's where, in terms of where the dynasty began. But I'd say, like, to be honest, like, to ask that question in terms of a, of a seventh generation or eighth generation Rebbe, who was his teachers, they were all his primarily... His, the, the people that he was their successor. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, in Geula, in Mashaim, actually. 
you walk in past Kikal Shabbat, you walk into 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 Mount. There's a hill up the right. It's called Beit Avraham, and that's where they that's where they primarily are. But there is still a community in Tzviliyah, like they are. How they're still have hold on to there. By the way, if you're wondering what the braid is for, it's to hold the microphone. <laughs> yes. Amazing. I'm sorry, your name? Yudit. Yudit is saying the Slonim is also famous for the fact that there uh, that there were Goyim that uh, wrote Sifrei Torah as a way of making money and that there are still some Sifrei Torah that were written uh, by the non-Jewish community that are circulating and that there are ways to detect the writing through the writing. Okay. So, welcome to the world of Slonim. And I'm going to start actually from that quote from the Rambam. So, that will enter us into his conversation on Tefillah. And it's going to be a much quieter conversation because, as you can see in the title that I offered for, the, for our morning, this morning's learning, um, we're talking about intimacy and peace of mind. So, it's not going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to put all of myself into this one word and my soul is going to leave my body. Right? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the agony and the ecstasy of, oh my God, what does God really want of me? It's going to be a much quieter way of talking about finding venues actually for intimacy and for peace of mind, for being able to be, and how tefillah, how prayer will enable us to experience that. So I want to start with the Rambam for a moment as a bar for entering into the conversation. Katafa Rambam. So on the, on the first page, the first line, under that book. And the title that he gave for this essay was Avodah Balev Tefillah. Service of the heart is Tefillah. Okay, so the Rambam wrote at the top, at the head of Hilchot Tefillah, the laws of Tefillah, prayer, chapter one, and this is his words. Zeloshono. Mitzvat aselit palel b'chol yom. It is a positive commandment to pray every day. For it says, Shneemar, Shmot Kavgimer, Shmot 23, And you shall serve Hashem your God. From the, there are traditions, Shmua is like Kabbalah, not in terms of the school of, of a certain kind of mystic tradition, but we have received by tradition. We have ways in our, in our, in our learning world to talk about different ways that information is transmitted. So, for example, another, another kin spirit to this would be when the Gemara will say, how do we know this? And we'll say, Halacha le-Moshe Sinai. Right? This came down with Moshe Sinai. Why? Why are feeling the way they are? Black boxes, right? Halacha le-Moshe Sinai. Given to us to Moshe Sinai. Another is to say, we receive this. There is a... There is a, a um, now I want to say uh, uh, hearsay. There's hearsay that is being transmitted, that is making its way, has made its way down through generations. When the pasuk says, and you shall serve Hashem your God, what is that? It's prayer. And then the Rambam says, mitzvah So if you want to know, how do you observe this mitzvah? 
A person should beseech, should pray and beseech every day. You pray, you beseech every day. Magid shivcho shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You say God's praise, you offer God's praise. Ve'achar kach sho'el tzrachav shehu tzarich lehem bevakashar uvetachnunim. And then afterwards, you ask for that which you need with great supplication. Okay, so I just want to point out that when we talk about Shmonai, say for example, the silent Amida, we talk about Shevach Bakasha and Hodaya. Praise, Shevach, Bakasha request, and Hodaya, expression of gratitude. The structure here in the Rambam is a little bit different. The order is a little bit different. But you can also see here, he's not saying, you say, Right? For the Rambam, the, the little understanding of what tefillah is, is being able every day to pray to God, to, bes- to beseech God, to praise God, to ask for your request. That's what tefillah is. Okay? And that is part of what we are going to be using as our way of thinking this morning about tefillah. And he's going to continue quoting the Rambam, dealing with the notion of what is the element of Kavanah. And we talked a little bit and kind of come back to and alluded to time and again the relationship between Kavanah and Vekut. Yes, um, intention, intentionality, attunement or atonement, and, um, and cleaving to God. And if you go down about 10, about ten lines in the second paragraph, We'll see, there's an aleph and a bet in parentheses. Because he says here there are two meanings in the word kavana. When we talk about kavana, right? Because he's, he's stuck with the possibility of, well, what happens if you don't pray with kavana? Right? So the Brahman says, actually, you have to go back, right? Because it's service of the heart. Your kavanah is the essence of it. So if your kavanah is not there, then you haven't done anything. Then we're talking about, again, dead words, God forbid. So we need to know for this son of there are two elements of kavanah. One is, Number one is you need to understand what you're saying. Right? So coming back to my fifth and sixth grade classes in Bill White Tfilah in understanding what the words of Tfilah are. But the second is, right, so when talking about Kavanah, and I think that primarily we get stuck on level number one, like, and as people get caught on wanting to be able to understand every word that they're saying, and the feeling that if you don't understand every word that you're saying, you're not really praying. And people walk into a shul at times, and they feel intimidated and they feel alienated because the siddur is big and large and bombarding and overwhelming. And oh my God, what do you do with it? So he's saying, I want you to know, num- that's number one. Level number one is to understand what you're saying. But level number two, right, and this is what I like to try to remind people time and again when they feel this fear, this, <laughs> what am I going to do with this? She chavenet libo shomed nochach p'nei 
They want to align their hearts that they're standing in the presence of God. She chaven at libod, one aligns, tunes, fine tunes, like a musical instrument. Right? What's that pitch that you, you tune yourself to? It's the fact Shomed nochach. And I like the word nochach versus listening. Right? Standing in the presence. Nochach presence. In front of. Right? So if you want to go back to Monday and say, okay, how did you end up moving? I moved from the paradigm of Ifne to the paradigm of Nochach. I moved from the paradigm of standing in front of to the paradigm of standing in the presence of. And when standing in front of, I found myself either in awe or in ridicule. But in the presence of, I found myself in, enveloped in. Right? Yitzchak, when he prays for Rivka to conceive, right, he is standing nochach. Reb Levi Yitzchak, well, on that pasuk, will say nochach is not a geographic statement. It's not that one is standing in one corner and one is standing in the other corner. Meaning, since they didn't have a house, they each took separate corners of the room. Right? What he's saying is that nochach is a state of being. And what Rebbe understands that to be is what Yitzhak is praying, he understands that for Rivka, and this is Rivka, for Rivka, her complete actualization in the world is to be a mother. And he understands that his actualization in the world is dependent on her actualization in the world. In order for her to be his complete partner, she needs to be the totality of who she is. So he can only be the totality of who he is if she is the totality of who she is. He prays for her to be his nochach, his present, his opposite, his partner, his complete partner. Right? And again, coming back to pray for us, right? Standing nochach is the relationship. Shivchik Nochach we, 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 we recite poor presence of the face of God. So no quality of relationship. And the truth is, but definitely it doesn't limit the notion of tefillah to the words of structured tefillah as we know it. So Kavanah, two things. One is the technical understanding of the words of tefillah, but I want to say with that, along with that, before that, after that, I'm not clear to me how you're going to, where you're going to position this in your own practice, but one aligns their heart that they are standing in the presence of God. And for that, you can be anywhere with anyone, in any situation. You can be on the subway, you can be in the forest, you can be in your home, you can be in shul. Wherever it is that you can allow yourselves to be nochach. 
And I have to say that when people think about tefillah, the truth of the matter is, even tefillah biyachid, when we pray in ourselves, there's a way to prepare ourselves. Sometimes it has to do with preparing a prayer corner in our home. Now, it can be at times as simple as saying, this is the chair that I Right? I'm not talking about wall hangings and candles and if that works for you, oh, that's your work. Right? That's your avodah shabalev. But it's about setting out a place, a space, that holds that intentionality in our home. And when doing that, it shifts tefillah, it shifts your tefillah. Now, it doesn't mean to say that you can't pray in any room in your home. a space, a corner that holds that intentionality when you walk into that space when you sit down in that comfy chair it holds you and it aligns you, it reminds your mind and your heart and your soul what it is you're about to be doing it brings you back to the memory of tefillah before you even started to pray so therefore, to align one's heart, understanding the presence of God, we can, we can also cultivate and construct those kinds of spaces that avail themselves this feeling and consciousness of presence. And then he says, and this is the kavanah that the Rambam, Rabbeinu, our teacher, our rabbi, Rabbeinu, right? So I'd say, who did he learn from? He learned from the Rambam. Hmm? A good source. A good source. This is what the Rambam meant when he said, This is what the Rambam meant when he says, if you don't align yourself with tefillah, if you don't have kavanah, it's not tefillah. And similarly how the Rambam writes in Halakhat Zain. Now I have to say one thing about what I'm, gonna, what I'm reading right now. You can say it's legitimate. You can say it's not legitimate. Different people read the Rambam differently. I've heard the Rambam being quoted as the first blank Jew. The first, you know, modern Orthodox Jew the first, you know, conservative Jew, the first mystic, the first rationalist, the first, the first you put it and you can enter into that space. And different people read the Rambam differently. So I'm offering you right now to take the Rambam as you know him. Right? There's the Italian as you know him. And here the mystic as I'm reading him. What does he say? Umayya Kavana. What is this? What is kavanah? We've been playing with this word, trying to understand, like, what is this? Shefaneh et libo mikol hamachshavot. Vacate our mind, our heart, from our thoughts. Because it used to be perceived that our thoughts dwelled in our heart. So we remove our thoughts from our heart. V'yareh atzmo ke'ilu omed neged hashchina. And one sees themselves as if they are sitting, standing, and this neged is like nocha. Face of the divine. 
הכוונה בעצם התפילה. ואם אינו מכוון שעומד נוכח פני השם, אין זו תפילה כלל. Right? And if you don't have that intention, that's what he understands the Rambam is saying that it's not prayer. So mazel tov, you know, you fulfilled your obligation. I want to say that there's a distinction here between the mitzvah of tefillah and avodah of tefillah. If you could say that. Right? So if you are not standing in the presence of, or have not availed yourself to that consciousness, so you've fulfilled the mitzvah of tefillah because you've said the words. But what is the service of tefillah, the avodah shebalev, the service of the heart, that, that element, that has not been fulfilled. And so I want to say that in some way being a little, only a little bit, you know, facetious, like tefillah is like a two for one. You know, if you daven with the intentionality, you get two for one. And I got to tell you, and you read the benefits, like you can walk away saying, like on the one hand, it's like I had a moment of, I, I actually understood the words I was saying, and I also had a moment of being held by the divine. Yes? Well, yes. You're, you're not, you're, you have not fulfilled your, you have not fulfilled your obligation. That is true. But I also st- still, despite that, want to hold to the fact is that we pass and actually that we don't need Kavanah and Tfilah, right? Because Tfilah Behai Al Malaika. In our time, we, we, can't, we can't align ourselves to this understanding of what Kavanah is, right? And I think that's part of our challenge. Our challenge is that we have been cultivated um, socially. In terms of our uh, sociology, we've been cultivated not to be doing this kind of work. <laughs> that's, the, that's the truth of it. So that the way our souls are prone today, or have been uh, the exercise of our soul today, is not one that aligns itself in this way to the extent that we could have toskened it all, that if you don't have kavanah, you haven't davened. Because what that would do is it would make us all sinners. It would make davening impossible. What the distinction between the two enables us is to say, we've fulfilled our basic obligation of prayer. But you need to know that there's a higher level of that. Right? And that is being able to stand in the presence of. And I'd say in our time today, it's crucial because you have some people that are challenged on one and not the other in both directions. But there are people that, you tell, that will say, I'm a very spiritual person. Right? And they can close their eyes and they feel presence. But have no sense of what our tefillah looks like. Right? And they're not people that are, you know, that are daily daveners. And have yet to meet God. So I think that what this enables, the, right, is to challenge everyone, all of us, wherever it is that we're standing. Those who feel comfortable with God, but don't have a vessel for it, don't have the words for it, and the structure that we've, that we've created, our traditions created, that's why I challenge them, but one second. There are words. You need to learn words. You need to utter words. And you, for Vatican every morning, you also need to know that there is a presence of the ideal is, the aspiration is that we have both.
And I think that they also enable us to ask ourselves how to prepare. If you have one and not the other, how do you prepare? So if you have the gift of the words, you say, well, what do I do from here? What do I, how, do I, how do I take the next step? Then I say, well, sit for a moment, close your eyes, ask yourself, put yourself in the presence of God. Whatever the word presence means, whatever the word God means. Right? Close your eyes, put yourself, sit for a moment, whether it's follow your breath, whether it's vacate your mind from all questions, from all thoughts. Right? And I'll, I'll tell the truth. Sometimes I tell people, if you need when you wake up a half an hour to get your life in order to be able to sit in Daven, then that's what you need to do. Right? So some people, you know, they get up in the morning, they, I don't know, have their cup of coffee, have their glass of orange juice, and read their newspaper, and go online and check their email. Right? And then they become a person. <laughs> I, um... <laughs> I don't do coffee and I don't do orange juice, but the other stuff. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I don't do the newspaper either. I only do you know. <laughs> That's the truth. No coffee, no orange juice, no newspaper. Um, but what I'll say is, if you need that half hour, so that then you can, or that one phone call that you need to make, to vacate your mind, to allow yourself to daven, then, th- then do it. Even though the Shulchan says, the first thing you do is you jump out of bed, you start davening. But if you can't daven, so if you have things like, for some people, their preparation for davening is three minutes of email. Their preparation for davening is walking the dog. Their preparation for davening is getting the kids' breakfast ready to go to school. Their preparation for davening is a long, hot shower. I don't know what it is. But if you do it with intention as preparation for davening versus I have all these things I need to do and then I'll also find some time to daven. That's very different. If this is what I need to do so I can daven, then that becomes part of davening. So coming back to the Gemara, and then we put it that way, that you have both entrances the two entrances, the courtyard, and then into the sanctuary itself in order to daven. Right now, and think about what are those two entries for you? Those two entrances for you. What are those two rungs that you have to cross over in order to be able to start davening? Part of the challenge is, it's like, it's like, you know, if you jump into a cold shower, you lose your breath for a moment. Right? In exercise, I don't do this, but I'm told that in exercise, the most important part of exercise is right to take those coming up when I can do another ten minutes killing yourself. Not the way to do it. May not be at times, and I'll. It may not be changing the structure of our time, but changing the intentionality of our time. Right? So tomorrow morning, your morning can look like the same in terms of the details of it, but how you hold it and how it holds you can be very different. And tomorrow morning, a cup of coffee can be part of your hachanah letzilah, can be part of your preparation for prayer.
because it's enabling you to come into yourself so that actually you can stand in the presence of because the truth of the matter is if we don't do that right we're zombies in front of God that happens a lot we're <laughs> zombies in front of God right but then you're going to say but we all have such busy lives how can we do it how can we take that time I don't have time to meditate for an hour every morning and he gets up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what are you, crazy? He says, but that's the only time. I can, if I need to daven, I need to write, I need to meditate, I need to prepare. <laughs> that's what he does. So I bless him. I love him for it, but not me. But there are to align our intentionality to be part of that preparation for So that when we finally start to feel our muscles are Muscles of our spirit are, have also have already been warmed up. There was a hand here. I saw. Yes. No. Okay. If you move to the left column, you see there's a part that's blocked in the left bottom. Kiika and the last. Um, I'm reading the last three words on that line. Kiika inyan tfila, hudvekut b'ashem b'dorga ilait. Are we all there? Great. Guys, I have to tell you, you guys are just amazing. I walk out of here every day, I'm like, thank you. Yes. Okay? What is the essence of tefillah? Tefillah is about coming to be one with God. It's not about getting our prayers answered. It's not about the outcome other than being one with God. Coming back to sitting in God's house all the days of my life. It's just about having that moment in the presence of. It's about having that moment of being seen. Right? What will we do to have a sense of a moment that God sees us? That we're standing in the presence of. And this is why we have found in the writings of the Holy Ari, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria, um, now I could say the creator of Luyan Kabbalah, So if the Hebrew was hard there, it's because it's Aramaic. <laughs> so he says, what does the Ari say? The Ari says the following, through the intentionalities, there are kavanot, there are special intentions that the Ali offered for every word. Every name of God is like a palace that has intentions and has rooms within it and chambers within it and meetings within it and gematrias that are connected to it, the numeric values of different words, letters and names that are connected to it and different ways of reading because of that. It's like this whole decoding process. It's very technical. People think that, oh, it's always very spiritual and you close your eyes and you meditate. But there's like so many technical elements that go into this. Why do we do this? To bring a unification within the masculine, the feminine, and the divine. Yehud, v'zivug, a unification and a compilation of the Kadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah, which by now, since Monday, you know is George and Georgina. This is what, and, and as below, so above. In the actions, in the deeds from below, awakens the actions, the deeds of above. 
So the angels pray when we pray. They hear us praying and they say, ooh, people are praying. Oh, we need to praise God too. There's a friend of teaching that Ali will, that the angels will hold on to in the realm is, Hashem Tzircha al Yad Hashem is our shadow, is the shadow. Hashem Tzircha is your shadow of your right hand, al Yad Now, the shadow, right, is dependent on the physical entity that's creating the shadow. God is our shadow, is the way the Baal Shem Tov understands that verse, that pasuk. You want, God says, I need to see you acting in chesed so I know how to act in chesed. When I see how you behave, when talking about modeling behavior, right? So we are the ones that the course. And the mouse of the world follows us versus us thinking it's the opposite of us being in God's image, right? It's really God's actions being in the image of our actions. Oh, you're fast. So what I did is, if you notice, I created a, I created a dichotomy between God's image and our and, and action. Okay, I created a distinction between image and action. Image, and he emulates our actions. So when we experience this dveikut, when we can cleave to God, that's when up, upstairs that also happens on the higher levels as well. And if our prayer below brings union and cleaving between a person and their Father in heaven, that also happens above. We'll finish the paragraph and we'll take a break. And this is what prayer, that is a service of the heart, is about. By virtue of pouring our hearts out. And yes, this is not simple work, but it is possible work. You pour, by virtue of our pouring our hearts out, like water, it's through this pouring out of our heart that we become one. We cleave, we connect ourselves, we tie ourselves, we bind ourselves. We connect, we bind, and cleave. Like someone that, and it is a loyal lover. That we can pour our hearts out in front of God. And through this, one connects and clings to. In such a way is the different levels of tefillah. That even when we're actually asking for a technical issue, we're asking for a specific need, we're cleaving to God. And feels, one's, and feels their love to God. And actually God is the one who wants to help. Now, I will step back and say, there's a tall order here, right? And this is where you can be challenging him right now. And rightfully so. 
say, what are the going on? Foundation, we believe in God, we trust God, and we feel loved by God. And that's true. Right? That is an assumption here. So, in some way, it's also important to understand that the Son of Rebbe, when he teaches, he's teaching his students, and he's teaching people that he wants to believe, or believes, he truly believes, that this is the given of how they stand in the world. They stand in the world in a world where they know that the phrase, Avinu Shabbat our Father in Heaven, right, or our parent in Heaven, is true. Um, I've been asked at times, what do you do in a situation where you're talking with a person who their parents were, God forbid, abusive, right? So the is not exactly a paradigm that they align themselves with, right? Um, and I've had that image, and someone said to me, I can never say Avinu Malkeinu, right? Because my father abused me. I can never say Avinu Malkeinu. And one way of thinking about it was I offered the suggestion of trying to, and I'm using all these words, of trying to, thinking about, right, because I would never, I can never enter into that space, right? So, but what would, can you think about a possibility that the relationship with a father that you didn't have could be your relationship with God? That God could have, could hold that space of being that ultimate parent. That it wasn't here in this world, but it can be in the realm of your spirit. That your soul can be held in love and in trust and in faith by the one loving parent in that image of Avinu Shabbat Shammai. I do want to say that for the the foundation is believing in God, trusting in God, believing that God wants our well-being. And in that way, for the Nitzvot Shalom here is saying, all we need to do is stand in God's presence. The ability to stand in God's presence, the ability to pour our hearts out, that already is a response. There was a question, what happens when God doesn't respond to our prayers? But for the Nitzvot Shalom, that is already the response. Right? The rest of it is detailed. Right? And we'll see how he says it explicitly in the, after our break. The rest of it is detailed, but prayer is like what he wants to tell us is prayer is coming home. Prayer is not a battlefield. Mama komet filazo. Going back to Nechunya ben Akana. What is prayer? Right? And the distinction between the Beit Midrash and the Beit Knesset. Beit Midrash is a battlefield. Beit Knesset is the coming home. The Talmud is a battlefield. The Sidur is that cushion. This is what he'd be asking us. A prayer is the place where we can actually start to breathe again. The prayer is the place where we begin to collect ourselves and be able to pause for a moment beyond the details of our actions and to say, Oh, Hello, nice to meet you, Feigelson. Mm-hmm. Now I can stand in the presence of God because for a moment I'm present. And when I'm present, I can create that space because otherwise we're so spread out. So tefillah is an invitation for a moment to hold ourselves, to contain ourselves, to create a space so that then God 
can be present. So for the Nitivot Shalom, we're talking about primarily, first of all, as a homecoming to a place which is safe, which is close, which is intimate, which we can let go, which we can let our heart free. 10 to 11. Let's come back at 11. Yes. Right? The meaning of the word. What it means specifically is that coming back to the tree of life in the world of Okay? There are two different schools of, of thinking about this field. One is the ten emanations as as we um, as people more oftenly are aware of. Keter, Chochma, Bina, Da'at, Chesed, Gvoa, Tiferet, Netzachod, Yisod, and Machut. And another way of thinking about it is, another school of thought talked about Parzufim, faces. And then you had the Concealed, the Atika Kadisha, you had Abba Ila'an, Ima Ila'a, the Supernal Father and Mother, you had, you had Ze'er Anpin, the small face, and then you had Shechina, Machut, the Nukva, the feminine. And these worlds are highly gender-oriented, highly hierarchical, and completely intermingled and intertwined. And there is a parallel, if there is a way in which we could put a, a mirror where the horizon is, and we would see a parallel between the higher worlds and the lower worlds. So when it talks about Yehud and Zivug, in the higher worlds, between Kucha Brichu and Shrinte, between the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Another way we'll be talking about a, a union between Tiferet and Malchut, the Sfirah of Tiferet, which is aligned with Yaakov and the totality of the six middle Sfirot, and Malchut, which is aligned with the ultimate feminine, the, the, the earth, Mother Earth, Father Heaven, Mother Earth, in native traditions. We will talk, we will use the same country. And then therefore, when he talks about Yehud and Zivug, he's talking about a unification of these divine eminences um, in the higher worlds. And then the Yehud and Zivug, the unification and the cleaving and the clinging and the copulation that we have below is likened to what happens above. There, it's light with light, spirit with spirit. Here, it's body with body. And how does he know? He knows because he's been there. He knows because he's seen it. He knows because he's experienced it. He knows because the realm, the realm of reality in which he lives in is not only dictated by the vision of his eyes, 
when they're open, but the vision of his eyes when they're closed. And of the boundaries that his mind is not bound by. Okay. Thank you for your questions, both of them. Yes? Mm-hmm. And I felt that almost like too much of the burden is in the past as if us more things that I said that you were capable of. Well, I think I'm with you. I think that, uh, I think that ultimately, um, ultimately what, I, what I'd like to, the image I'd like to work with is the image of partnership and responsibility. Right? Because, you know, when people say to me, say, how are you doing? And they say, Baruch Hashem. And I'll say, Baruch Hashem tov, Baruch Hashem lo tov. You know, thank God good or thank God not so good. <laughs> right? Because thank God doesn't tell me anything beyond the fact that they're a, fear, they're a God-fearing person. Right? I still don't know what's going on in their life. I mean, I'm happy to know that they're a God-fearing person. Right? But beyond that, I, I need a little bit more to have a relationship with them. <laughs> So, in the same way, I'd say here, what we're asking for is a responsibility in which, right, I think the challenge is on the one hand is that God is present in our life, and we call out to God and we pray to God, but on the other hand, where is our human responsibility? And where is our commitment as being manifested in the world in God's image to actually bring God into the world? And in some ways, you'll find, um, to a great extent, I think the Baal Shem Tov that I quoted before the break, and other Hasidic Rebbe's will continuously talk about the Ma'o'i Naim, um, has a wonderful teaching in that direction on Pashat Kedoshim, that there's a, I'd say, a codependency or an interdependency. That the master world needs us, needs our actions, needs our presence in the world in order to matter is that we need the master of the world in our lives in order to manifest. There is this interrelationship and this interdependency between both realms. So, excuse me, so that we can actually walk in alignment in both directions. And Torah and Mitzvot are an example of how that alignment happens because that's the denominator between the master of the world and, and us, right? So Torah Shebikhtav is the written Torah is what the Master World brought down to us. The Torah Shebalpeh is what we are offering. And in that way, we're quote-unquote on the same page, <laughs> right? Because the Master of the World can open up the Shulchan Aruch and we can open up the Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> and we can have a holy chavuta. And we can do holy learning together. So there's a mutuality in, in the responsibility. Right? And that's where the sharing of the burden is. So yes, there is a burden, but it's a burden that comes from relationship. It's a burden that comes from responsibility. Right? It's a, it's a I want to say, benevolent obligation. Right? It's a benevolent obligation. That's how, that's how, I, that's how I see it. Yes. Thank you. Uh, do I need to repeat what I said? <laughs> okay. At what point? Two sentences, please. Yes, I said. <laughs> thank you. Um, what I said is that I'd like to think about this co-partnership or this inter this interdependency uh, as a benevolent obligation or a benevolent partnering, 
and benevolent would be the benevolent response. response. I want to take a, a minute to look at uh, the second essay, and then we're actually going to flip to the third essay. So you, but there should be at least a moment when we look together at each one of the essays. So if you flip to page six, And there's a, there is a small paragraph that is bracketed. And this is where we can enter into where we exited before the break. And the head, the headquarters, the primary source to all these matters, Hema Ha'emunava Bitachon. Right, so where we ended before the break was what were the foundations in which the, the Nesivot Shalom is working with, right? There is a God that hears, that, adhe that listens, that cares, that wants, and he says the truth of the matter is, for the Nesivot Shalom, if I asked him, what are your bet ptachim, what are your two openings, what are the two entrances that you believe we need to walk through in order to pray, he would say, emunah and bitachon, faith and trust. Right, because the most heartbreaking thing is to think that you're actually pouring your heart out to someone and there's no one on the other side of the line. Or they fell asleep a long time ago or actually you're pouring out your gut and they're actually doing something on their computer as you're talking. <laughs> so there is faith and trust that actually they are listening to you, actually are interested in you. I want to say one thing elsewhere, not here, but elsewhere, the Nitzvot Shalom will say, and this is a, 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 life, a lifesaver forever. He says, we don't have an obligation to believe. We have an obligation to believe that we believe. <laughs> so when someone says to me, but I don't believe in God, I said, that's no problem. <laughs> you don't have to believe in God. You have to believe that you believe. Because, you know, I remember someone said, the Kodesh is Chol. The opposite of holy is unholy, or a holy challenge, as we now know. But there is no opposite of Kodesh Kodeshim. There isn't Chol Shebechol. The opposite of Kodesh is Chol. But Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, doesn't have an opposite. So the opposite of believing is disbelief. But there is no opposite of believing that you believe. You can't rationally turn, 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 tear down believing that you believe because you're, you're saying you're, there's no rational element here in that belief. You're not believing that you know. You're not, no, you don't know that you believe. You don't know that you believe. You believe that you believe. That's like Kodesh Kodeshim. And you can't, you, can't, you, you can't tear it down. You can't negate it. And what the thing is saying, uh, the truth is, I don't know. I don't even know what I believe. I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe. I don't know if I believe. The best I can say is, I believe that I believe. Yes. Yeah.
Yes, but, it, but I want to say, it may never come to you. Right? Coming back to yesterday, the chulei hai ve'ulai. And all this, and maybe. Oh my God, it is so not empty. It's full of my belief. <laughs> what more can I give than my belief? And based on my belief, I give my life. You know, I have to tell you, um, it's a favorite story of mine. So I'll take a minute to share it because of acting, because of what I want to say. So, um, he would always students. He spent different parts of the year. Some of us always spent some holidays with him and never spent other holidays with him, kind of thing. So he was always in Israel for the nine days during from Rosh Chodesh Av to Tisha B'Av. I couldn't remember for years what it was like to be without him during the nine days, and he'd always do a week of learning. You know, um, children, when they play make-believe, it's for real. Right? Now, if you take them out of the moment, they know that a minute ago they were in a game. But as they're playing the game, at that moment, it's for real. So I said to myself, when he was alive, you'd call him and leave messages on his answering machine. Now, at that time, calling, Israel, uh, calling America from Israel was actually quite expensive. But if I called his answering machine versus his other phone numbers, if I called the answering machine, I knew it would never be more than three minutes. That was fine for my budget. I didn't have to talk to him. That was fine because I wanted to talk at him, not to him. <laughs> I heard his voice. And there was always a blessing on his outgoing machine, right? So, and I always knew that he got the message. Sometimes he'd call back. Sometimes a week later, I'd be talking to one of my friends in New York, and they'd say, oh, I heard Shlomo say that, right? But it could be like 3 o'clock in the morning. I just finished cooking for Shabbos Thursday night, and my house smells like Shabbos, and I finished cleaning the kitchen, and it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, Yerushalayim. Who are we going to say, you know, Shabbos is here already, right? But you can always pick up the phone and leave a message on it. So I said to myself, when he was alive, wasn't you, you want to talk to him, you want to talk at him. Children, when they play, it's for real at that moment, call him. And then my other head said, what are you, crazy? He was buried six months ago, you're going to call him? I said, but when he is, play make-believe, it's for real, call him. I pick up the phone and I dial. 212-724-5193. Like a phone that's ringing, that's a pacifying sound. <laughs> so I'm sobbing hysterically, but that phone begins to ring, and my, my cry starts to quiet. Now, I want to say, my intellectual mind knows that what it heard was a synthesizer. That at one time, there was a person who wrote the text for the message, but what my mind is hearing is a synthesizer. I know that. But I want you to know, I want my heart heard. Okay? The phone rings, and then I hear the following. It was the woman's voice, and she said, I'm sorry, 
That was already good. <laughs> I'm sitting alone in my home in Yerushalayim at 2 o'clock in the morning and she's sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. The number you have reached, 212-724-5193, is temporarily disconnected. <laughs> I say to myself, either she studied Kabbalah or she's in a rabbinical school. <laughs> I am sorry, the number you have reached is temporarily disconnected. Okay, she understands what life and death is about. Temporarily disconnected. And if that wasn't enough, she says, no further information is currently available. And as hard as I was crying, that's how hard I was laughing. Because everything I needed to hear at that moment, I received. Right? No I want to say, I'm sorry. The number you have reached is temporarily disconnected. And we're doing this learning in honor of your Abba Mayan. So I bless you to hold on to this. Temporarily disconnected. No further information is currently available. So if that's what play means, then I'm going to go through life playing. And I'm going to go through life believing that I believe. Because that will keep me alive. And that will keep me in relationship. Okay? Yeah. Yes, and good acting is when you become one with that. Right? So I'd say, and if, and if my choice is to not have God in my life, or to have God in my life in this way, then that's the life I'm going to live. There will be moments when I'll become so one with that. I heard recently, um, the one thing I've taken on in my life since I came to Los Angeles, movies. Um, the violinist, the, well, there's this new movie that, the soloist. the soloist, and I heard that I heard that Jamie, Jamie Foxx is the name of the actor, he had to go into therapy after acting that role, because he got that split personality, right, like he didn't know, like where he was, where he because he became so much one with the figure that he was acting. So there will be those moments in this paradigm of believing that we believe. So we, I want to say there'll be moments that we and we'll actually be believing. Yeah. Want to connect. 
yes and no. Yes and no. Why am I saying yes and no? Uh, first of all, that's normally how I answer. <laughs> and second of all, because yes from their perspective, no from God's perspective. It's like a kid, when a kid says to their parents, I don't love you, and the parent says, well, I love you. Right? Or the kid says, I'm not talking to you, and the parent says, but I'm talking to you. So that's what I'm saying. From, from, on one hand, yes, in order for, the, for your students to be in dialogue with God, but that doesn't stop God's dialogue with them. And one of God's acts of loving chesed is that actually... When we're ready, God's waiting. Right? How many times does someone say, you know, I waited for 20 minutes and I left and you arrived five minutes late? Right? How many times does that happen? It doesn't happen with the master of the world. Right? When that is erich apayim. That is that long breath that God carries. The long breath that God carries is that he meets us in some way on our terms. Right? He tells us, she tells us what she wants of us. Right? But at the same time, will always meet us on our terms. And that would also be true in the realm of tefillah. Right? The catch-22 is that we have been, um, we have been prone to think that there is one way to daven. There's one structure of davening. Going back to my student who, when I for the Nitzvot Shalom the two gates within that he says one needs to walk in, the two hurdles that one needs to cross over, to the two... Right? Wrap yourself in emunah. Wrap yourself in bitachon. Right? If you need to remind yourself, yes, there is a God. God does care. God cares about me. He says, Kegodel, the last word on the second line, Kegodel Based on the greatness of your belief that God hears the prayer, of every mouth. None of the chastid, none of the chastidically challenged, none of the learned, none of the scholar, none of. God hears the, voice, the prayer of all mouths. And it is only fit to pray to him and not fit to pray to, to, pray to others. And based on the measurement of our trust. Even if we're not worthy. And we're not fit, we're not worthy. The compassion will be there like the compassion of a parent on their child. This is what opens our mouth and our heart. Our mouth and our heart in prayer. And then we will feel 
כי עומד נוכח פני השם, and he will feel that he is standing in the presence of God, ושופך ליבו לפניו, and is pouring his heart out in front of him. I have to tell you another story, um, connected to your question and connected to this. So I'm sitting, this story must have been about 15 years ago, and I'm sitting in the Beit Midrash in Yakar, um, in Yerushalayim, and um, it's summer, I'm sitting alone with his child, who's about five years old, and his name is Yona, and this family made Aliyah to Tzfat, and they were um, contemplating making their way to Yerushalayim. So the father came with a couple days to Yerushalayim, checking out um, the neighborhood and the kindergartens, and so being that there was a, I was the only person in the building, I had no choice but to be nice, I'm talking to them, and... <laughs> Whatever I knew about the community, I share with them. Kindergartens, whatever I knew, I share with them. And they go on their merry way, and I go back to my learning. And about a minute later, they're back again. And the father says, now, by the way, if you notice, I have no idea what the father's name is, but I know the kid's name is Yona. So the father says, um, you know, Yona has a question, and I thought that you would be able to answer him. And I'm like, Mr. If I wanted to deal with kids, I'd be, have kids of my own and I'd be a teacher of kids. Like, kids, you have to be like... <laughs> it's like you can lie through your teeth to adults. It's their responsibility. A complete honesty. I'm like, what, are you crazy? So, and then I thought I smiled. I said, yeah, sure. How can I help? And God bless him. He, I'm sitting. So he looks up. He still like, look, looks up at me and says... He says, Mimi, every day we pray for the rebuilding of the Mikdash. And to my Abba took me to the Kotel this morning, and the Mikdash isn't there. Isn't it there? So first of all, I'm, sta- I'm sitting in the presence of a person who actually... I felt I'm in the presence of someone who has such faith in their prayers. So I look at him, and all, all I could hear inside of me was that Reb Soma once said, what do you think, that the, the, that the temple could be burned? Like fire could burn the stones of the Mikdash? That's all I heard inside of me. So I look at Yonah and I say, what? It's not? <laughs> And he says, no, it isn't. <laughs> okay, he has, so I knew that he believed in prayers, but I also knew that he had a sense of reality. <laughs> so I say to him, I say, do me a favor. I said, can you eyes for a minute? I have never prayed in my life. And I say to him, I said, Yona, Can you see it now? It's a very long silence. He's standing there with his eyes closed and I'm praying my heart out. And all of a sudden I see a smile. And he says, I can see it. So I said, Yona, now open your eyes and I want to tell you a secret. I said, you know, Yona, there are things that in order to see them, you have to keep your eyes open. So when you're walking curb and 
that are so precious to your heart. The only way you can see them is with your eyes closed. So when you want to see the Mikdash, you can't see it with your eyes open. But it is so close to your heart that you can see it with your eyes closed. In so many ways, I think that is what Tefillah is asking of us. Right? It's asking of us to have with safe travel. Right? There's a reason why when you dive into a pool, you dive with your eyes closed. You take a good look at the water for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) But when you actually dive, you dive with your eyes closed. There's a reason why when you kiss, you kiss with your eyes closed. If you keep them open, you'll see someone's nose. Not advisable. When you kiss, there's a reason why we kiss with our eyes closed. When we sneeze, it used to be that that is the way we died. That's why we say la briout, that's why we say to your health. Because it used to be that that our last breath came out of our body through our sneeze. And if you notice, when you sneeze, we sneeze with our eyes closed. So we're asked to pray with our eyes closed. And if we know the words closed, with our eyes closed, that won't the words. Page number eight. We'll take a few minutes. Then you go home and say, We learned all of the Nitivot Shalom and prayer. <laughs> okay. This essay is titled Ma'adam Merkazi Shel Tefillah Be'avodat Hashem The Status of Tefillah in the Service of God And then the last um, paragraph on the left is where we're going to start Hine ikar mekom achizat hara Himidat hatshuka The core place where the darkness holds on to Ra. And evil. You know why I like the word evil? I like the word evil a lot. Because evil spelled backwards is? So evil is a good word. <laughs> is in our passion. Where do our passions? What fuels us and flames us? 
So he says vatrufa and the healing for that, the medicine for that. is to elevate our passions to God. Passion is a good thing. But passionate to what? Passionate for what? I want to say passionate with what? Or with who? Passionate how? Passionate why? And how we elevate our passion to God through the pouring out of our heart to Him. As Ibn Ezra writes, for you, my, um, for you, my God, is my passion, my desire, and my love is to you. I mean, like, I'm about to imagine, like, like, what would that look like? Able to you to start with that sentence. Right? Lecha Elohim Tishukati. To you, my God, God is my desire. Becha Hashkivahavati. It is to you that I am passionate to desire and love. It's all about you. No matter who I say, I said to my husband, I love you. I said to my children, I love you. I said to my wife, I love you. I'm only saying it to them, but I'm only saying it to you. To you, God. One of the earliest rabbis, the Beit Avraham. I want to say the first Chesonim Rabbi. Ala pasuk, Hashem Elohai shivati lecha v'tirpeeni. From Tehillim 30. Hashem, my God, I call out to you and you heal me. Etzem hadavar shivati lecha hukvar refuah. The essence of the fact that I could call out to you, that is the healing. The rest of it are details. The rest of it are details. The essence is being able to call out to God. The essence is not being alone. The essence, the healing is being able to know that we're not alone, being able to know that God is with us. Elsewhere, the Slonim Rebbe will also bring another pasuk from Tehillim. He calls out to me and I will answer. I am with him in his hardships. I will draw him out of them and I will honor him. That's the pasuk from Tehillim Tzadik, Psalm 90, 91. Sonim Rebbe says that there are two levels to calling out to God. Right, so he wants to read that pasuk, that verse, not as one continuum, or description of us calling out to God and God answering us, but actually it's two different levels of being. Two different levels of calling out. The first is, He calls out and I will answer. Calling out is about a distance. Calling out is a trajectory. So if we call out from a distance, God answers from a distance. Yikra'eni? You call? I'll answer. But perception is 
אנוכי בצרה? I am with you, I am with him in your suffering. If that's how you talk to God, if we can bring the master world into our suffering, not I'll answer, not anil, the problem there is, achaltzeu v'achabdehu. I will draw and I will honor him. So, the level of humility is in our hands. Right? And that is, you know, when you're suffering, it's hard to hold on to that teaching. But it's good to re- hold on to it when you're not suffering so that there may be a flicker of a memory of it when you are suffering. Right? That's the truth. Because the truth is when we're suffering, we want the details to go away as well. Go away as well. And yet, what makes the pain endure that we're not alone. So it doesn't necessarily change the detail of the suffering, but I'm not alone in it. And that makes the whole difference. Loneliness and that moment of vulnerability is what becomes overwhelmingly. Is a reminder of who I am. God forbid of illness, we, we so don't recognize ourselves. Dot, dot. That is so, such a, such, such a common statement that people make. Able to call out to God brings us home. That's that peace of mind. I need a home base to come back to. I need a way to remind myself who I am. To remember who I am. So wonderful teaching of Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman, the last two years of his life, he told stories. Rabbi Nachman um, entered the world in 1772 and left the world in 1810. Uh, the grandson of the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, and um, he felt that his students were not understanding him, were not hearing him. So the last two years of because through the stories he could convey what he needed to convey, and his students could hear what they needed to hear. And I bless us all to continue to stories and to hear stories. Um, the minister came to the king and told him that the grain that's going to be 
that's going to grow next year, whoever eats it will go crazy. And, right? The problem is, if no one eats from the grain, they'll all starve to death. If they all eat the grain, except for the king, because the king doesn't want to go crazy, but if everyone else except for the king eats, then clearly, because they're all crazy and he's not crazy, they'll actually will think that he's the crazy one. Because he's the only one who's not like them. That's what we call crazy. People that are not like us, we call crazy. So... That's doom. That's a doom. Stars, or they demote him because they think he's crazy because he didn't eat from the grain. So for days, they're trying to figure out what to do until finally one of his wise men says the following. He says, "Well, no choice. It appears, right? We don't eat from the grain. Everyone starves. You don't eat from the grain, right? Or you and I don't eat from the grain. As your advisor." They'll think the two of us are crazy, they'll kill the two of us. So this is what I want to suggest. What I want to suggest is that we make a mark on our foreheads, you and I. And then next year when the grain comes through, everyone will eat from the grain. <coughs> including me. And the the only thing that will be the difference between the, the two of us and everyone else is that when we look at each other and we see the mark on our forehead, we'll know we're crazy. We'll know we're crazy. I sometimes think about tefillah as that mark on our forehead. That invitation back to God. That invitation home. That as we wander the the world, we wander the streets of our professions, we wander the streets of our families, we wander the streets of the reality that we're living, how we live it. Like, how do we find our way home? What's that dot on our forehead? And tefillah is that place where we can come home. Tefillah is the place where we can say, what is my emunah bitachon? What do I really believe? What do I trust? Hashem, Hashem, my God, I call out to you and you heal me. I'm not alone. I'm not wandering. There is presence of. Truth be told, sometimes with my eyes open, sometimes that beautiful that my eyes open, I'll see presence. Sometimes with my eyes closed. That is when I'll see. And then he says a few lines down, Eight lines down. As pouring out our hearts in front of God, One cleanses one's body from any kind of improper spirit, impro- I want to say disgust or dirt, a spiritual disgust or dirt. So our tears, right? You could say, well, what good tears? A girl asked me about my braid. I said, so I have something to hold on to if I get lost. 
Okay. Which in some ways is true because if I have a sense of, if I lose myself for a moment, I can hold on to my braid and that kind of becomes like my mark on my forehead, right? So I said, and then she, then she looked at me because, so what do you do if you get lost? So I said to her, um, But that image of the tears cleansing the eyes to see. Right? The, e- the, the tears are the mikvah. Our eyes are the window of our soul. Our Kabbalistic teach- teachers of Kabbalah teach us. Our soul. And our tears are the mikvah. For our eyes, the mikvah. through them other we do do come we do immerse with the totality of our being into the myth but we do come out new other yes you know I'm really good about not answering that question <laughs> I'll tell you why uh, seriously um the presumption behind that answer would be that there's something about God that I understand. And at best, I'm willing to answer that question in regard to my life, but never about someone else's life. I will do what I need to sense of my suffering. And if I want to interpret it, to... way for me to bring God into that moment. But I won't touch it other than sit with them and be with them. Two years ago, I was at a funeral of a child, an 18-month-old. Journey of dealing with on the, what I call on the cusp. end-of-life issues and um, funerals, cemeteries, and what that last chapter looks like. And it all came from her funeral. Um, when I got there, I wasn't the officiating rabbi. Thank God the, community, the family belongs to multiple shuls, so there were a soccer team of rabbis standing there. Um, I'm saying that because really the way they were standing at the grave was like they were like soccer, like were a soccer team in, in front of a of a goal trying to stop the um, that's sufficient um, two people independently as I got there and they said you're a rabbi you explain this and I gave the both of them the same answer and that was we're here to stand with our heart not with our head you're asking a question of the head and we're here to stand with our heart. So, 
I will never answer or try to make sense or try to explain anyone else's suffering except for mine. I only have a mandate to do that. What I, my, the mandate I have in, term, in regards to someone else's suffering is to sit with them and to hear them and to be with them. And truth be told, if they find meaning in their suffering, which I think is like completely ridiculous, that's also my truth to hold to myself. Because if it means to them what it means to them, and if that's their way to work through it, then that's theirs. And it's not mine to touch or take. For, the, for that reason, I'll never, I'll never answer that question. I can only answer it in terms of myself, in terms of my own suffering. How many people have read the article that I handed out yesterday? Okay, so I'm going to take two minutes to do this because we only have two minutes. Um, I'll fill you in. So it's a teaching. It's a teaching based on the teaching of. Um, when we're done, I'll take it to the. On the first opening verses of the parasha Chayesara, and the pasuk. These are the years of the life of Sarah, a hundred years, twenty years, and seven years, the years of the life of Sarah. The Piyasat Nerebe, based on Rashi, wants to understand why the repetition of the Pasuk. It tells us these are the years of the death of Sarah, life of Sarah. It doesn't need to tell us at the end these are the years of the life of Sarah. Rashi there says the repetition is to teach us that all of her years are, to, are for good. Now, the, the, then he brings the Midrash. We know that after the Akedah, after the binding of, of Isaac, after Akedah Yitzchak, the next thing is Chayesara. She leaves her, she dies. Now she teaches us that why did she die? She heard about the Akedah. She went, <gasps> and that. But there's an underlying statement there in terms of we know two things. When he writes, Moshe Rabbeinu bring these two stories together okay myself, this isn't a class in biblical criticism right? there's a teaching that he's giving over in the war in 1939 and 1940 he's not teaching us that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who compiled the Torah and put these two stories together I have to ask myself why does he bring Moshe Rabbeinu into the conversation and I learned that there are actually two different paradigms that he's offering for us. One is the Sarah Imenu paradigm and one is the Moshe Rabbeinu paradigm. We, go we know that the Gemara teaches us, the Midrash tells us, that the, ima, the Avot were tefillim to the Imahot in Nevu'ah. The patriarchs were secondary to the matriarchs in prophecy. So that means to say that Sarah Imenu, God bless her, what, she didn't know that nothing happened? She didn't know that Yitzhak actually walked down from the mountain on his two feet? So then what happened here that her soul left her body? The Piyasetzner Rebbe said here, he was saying, unacceptable. I can deal with this. I'm so high. 
Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who for 40 years knows he's not entering and still every Two different paradigms. Doing this to his people is not a God that I want a relationship with. And they walk away. That's a God who's not playing by the rules. And there and then there were those that held on to their faith every day that got up and actually like the Piyasetzna Rebbe did. And I think actually what he's saying about himself is, I want to believe that there's, this is a moment of flipping of the board. That God's not following the rules. But as the Rebbe, I have to hold on to the community. I have to hold on to all those who are in the ghetto with me. So he What is he saying to them? He says, you're not walking away from God. You're the children of... You're the children who say to God, because I believe in you. Because I have faith in you. Because I trust, live my life in trust of you. That's why I have to walk away. Because the God that I believe in, the God that I trust in, couldn't allow this to be. So they're walking away their civil disobedience is an act of faith. And then there are the Moshe people. There are Moshe people that say, you know what, no matter what, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to dive in three times a day. And when I get with Yerushalayim Yerchah Barachamim Tashuv, and to Yerushalayim you say, you will return in compassion, you God will have to stand nochach in my presence and hear me saying that. In the ghetto, in the labor camp, Trevniki, where he ended his life on the 4th of Cheshavah, 1943. I will say these words three times a day. The good one, there is no end to your compassion. I'll say that three times a day. In your presence, and you will witness. The Pesach Rebbe here is offering, is offering a place for... And that's why... Take one last moment and go to the last page. The last paragraph. The rabbis teach us in this way, tefillah. Sometimes we pray like the sun is rising. And sometimes we pray like the sun is setting. But the way he begins this paragraph is by saying, on the top of page 12, in the same way that the Holy Torah belongs to every person of Israel, and in all of his, her or his physical or in spiritual, emotional states, in the same way, prayer is not dependent on one's mood or one's tendencies or one's feelings of one's heart and one's spirit. 
It is a complete Torah, Hanoheget b'chol hamatzavim u'v'chol ha'itim. It is a complete Gestalt, it is a complete Torah that is applicable and has room and place in all situations, in all times. Sometimes when the sun is shining, and truth be told, sometimes when the sun is setting. We continue to learn healing in our relationship. Thank you for the graciousness of your heart and spirit and your nochach and your presence.